Easter Sunday, you might think that the options I've given in the title for this morning's message aren't the most encouraging other. Either he is risen or we are to be most pitied of all people. But that's the way the Bible presents it. So we're going to have a look at that this morning as we look at God's word. While we read the entirety from verse 1 to verse 28, I am focusing um, primarily on verses 12 to 20. Let's open up in prayer as we ask God to help us as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that either you were raised or our faith is a waste of time and we should be most pitied of all people. Uh, But Lord, uh, not only many of us gathered here this morning, but for centuries people have had a good reason for a firm confidence that you have indeed raised, you have indeed conquered sin and death and Satan, that you have given us hope both for this life but also for the future. And Lord, as we look to your word this morning, we pray that um, it might have the same life-changing effect on us as it has had on people who have called upon your name for centuries. Uh, So we ask you to uh, help us and help us to see the joy of what you've done for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, you know how everyone in high school, you've got to learn a little bit of language. I learned a little bit of German and most of the stuff that I remember is totally useless, but I found it totally funny. When I spent a year living in Texas in America, we learned a few songs in Spanish, so I could say I got a little bit of Spanish. Went off to Bible college, learned biblical Greek and the, the New Testament was written in. But what many of you don't know is the last seven years I've been learning another language. This language is called Sarah. Now for those visiting, Sarah is is my wife. Uh, I'm not just using this as an example because our youngest is sick and Sarah's not here today. I ran this by her during the week. Let me give you an example of this language. Sometimes my wife Sarah says to me, Steve, would you like a cup of tea? Now people who know me know that I don't like tea. Sarah knows that I don't like tea. But even though you hear those words, Steve, would you like a cup of tea? You wouldn't naturally think that means, Steve, would you like a cup of tea? But what is actually being communicated is, Steve, would you like to make me a cup of tea? <laughs> so usually I answer on lines of, oh, not at the moment, but that's a very fine offer, offer thank you. <laughs> Let me give you another example. Oh, the footy's on. Can I sit in front of you? And I think, she's decided she loves footy. She wants to get closer to the telly to watch it. That's not what's been communicated at all. Sarah doesn't like footy. What's been communicated is, the footy's on, and as compensation, may I sit in front of you and can you massage me to make up for the fact that you're making me watch footy? (laughs) Quite often I just ask the question, why don't you say what you actually mean? Now, sometimes us blokes are a little bit simpler. Put it in clear, easy terms that we'll all understand it. But it's not just this language of Sarah. There are things all the time that happen where what is actually explicitly being communicated isn't the main thing that is being communicated. Like even the reading that we've had this morning might seem like an odd reading to have at Easter. Because the verses that we're focusing on, from verses 12 to 20, the majority of it is asking the question, if Christ is not raised? And you'd think, 
The resurrection is the most important thing in terms of the, what the scripture speaks about. Our whole hope hinges upon the resurrection. Why would the Bible even entertain the question if Christ has not been raised? Now we're just looking at verses 12 to 20. But in those verses, Paul lists seven things that are completely left in tatters if Christ was not actually raised. It says that our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Apostles are false witnesses of God. We're still in our sins. All the believers who have, who have just died have just perished. There's nothing more for them. All of our hopes are for this life only, only to be disappointed later. And we are to be most pitied of all people. You can see it's pretty drastic, the negative effects, if Christ was not actually raised. Like if I was not confident that Christ was actually raised, when we go out here, we'll lock this door and never come back again. Let's not waste another moment of our life. But whether or not Christ was raised is of ultimate importance. Now, obviously you could add to this list, if Christ is not raised, then Christians are placing their hope in a dead saviour. But after he makes all this list of things, if Christ is not raised in the final of these verses, in verse 20 he says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What makes the transition from if Christ has been raised to Christ has been raised? Like in a Christian setting, some people might just simply say, well, the Bible says so, I believe it in and of itself, may or may not be convincing. But it's worth looking at the fact that the person who is writing these letter to this church in Corinth has openly stated himself he was a persecutor of the church. This is not someone who is naturally disposed of thinking, I want Jesus to be raised from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead and people were going around spreading this news, he was so opposed to it that he was persecuting them, dragging them back to have them punished and even to be killed. So something has happened to take him from being someone who persecuted people who said this to actually risking his own life to proclaiming it. But he's not the only person who's seen Christ raised from the dead. In the earlier verses from the passage read, Paul said, I've delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ was died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now you can imagine how, if he just says, now a couple of us saw him in a little private room, no one else saw him, you could think, you guys are making that up. But he says there was one occasion where more than 500 people saw Jesus Christ, most of whom at the time Paul is writing are still alive, so you can go and ask them. Likewise, when the women went out to the tomb that early Sunday morning, remember that embarrassing fact that as far as the biblical accounts are concerned, no one seemed to be expecting Jesus to be raised on the third day, despite the fact that he told them that he would. The women who went out on the Sunday morning weren't expecting to find Jesus risen. They were going there with things to embalm a dead body. But as they came to the tomb, found it empty, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And funnily enough, these women go back and they tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. The same disciples that Jesus has told many times before that he would raise from the dead on the third day. And they thought it was a joke. They didn't believe the women. What the disciples were doing on this Easter Sunday morning wasn't waiting for Jesus to be raised to appear himself. They were hiding for fear of the Jews. They were hiding for fear of being associated with Jesus. They see what happened to him and they were scared. They didn't want anyone to find them in case something happened to them. But these same followers of Jesus who are hiding for fear because of their association with Jesus, when they had actually seen Jesus risen from the dead, all of a sudden they are transformed, they are emboldened, they go out into public places declaring at the risk of their own life that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. The guards reported to the chief priests that the tomb was empty. Even historians record that the early Christians claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Now, Josephus was a Jewish historian writing in the first century, so he's got no reason as a Jew to speak favourably of Jesus or of his resurrection. He also worked underneath the Roman emperor, so he didn't want to speak favourably of Jesus for that reason either. And he says, At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning the prophets who have recounted wonders. So he says, you know, this is written down in history from people who have no Christian bias whatsoever that the people claim that they have seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. There's another historic reference in the annals of Tacitus who wrote in the first century, a Roman historian, and he spoes about after Jesus was crucified, he says, and then another superstition broke out. That is, those, there were people claiming that Jesus was risen from the dead. And know what he goes on to say happened to them? He says, they were wrapped in the, in the skins of animals and they were torn apart by dogs. They were set on fire and used as lighting for parties. This was the extent to which people who were once um, fearful for their association with Jesus were willing to endure in the, as they went on to proclaim that Jesus Christ was indeed risen. And despite all these things written in history that speak positively of this, there is nothing written in history that says, no, this didn't happen. And this is why it didn't happen. Both the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders wanted to bring this to an end. This was causing problems in terms of the Jewish religion. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And they didn't believe that he was risen from the dead. The Romans didn't like it because if Jesus actually was risen from the dead, then it makes him look more big and powerful than the Roman emperor. So they wanted to silence it. Both the parties, if they produced a corp, game over. There was an empty tomb, but there was nobody to produce. And over the last couple of thousands of years, millions of lives have been transformed by this new life offered by what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection. But as we ask these questions, if Jesus was not raised... 
just like the Sarah language that I've been learning. What is more important is what is not explicitly stated. If Christ is not raised, that we see down the left-hand side what's in the passage, our preaching is in vain. Which means that if Christ is indeed in vain, is indeed raised, our preaching is meaningful and valuable. If Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain. But if he is raised, our faith has a sure and certain foundation. If Christ is not raised, the apostles are false witnesses of God. If he is raised, they are true witnesses of God. If he's not raised, we are still in our sins. If he is raised, we have forgiveness of sins. If he's not raised, believers who have died have just perished. But if Christ is raised, then we have an eternal life. If he's not raised, our hopes are for this life only. If he is raised, we have a hope that's not only for this life, but for all eternity. If he's not raised, we are to be most pitied of all people. If he is raised, we are to be the most envied because we have the most valuable of all things. Now, I'm not going to have time to address each of those, but I do want to just uh, speak about a couple of those significant points. Firstly, if Christ is not raised, we are still in our sins. Therefore, if Christ has been raised, our sins have been dealt with. Our sins just means that we have dishonoured God. We haven't honoured the God who has given us our life and breath and everything. And that the natural consequence is not honouring the one who has given us our life, as Jesus said even to Adam and Eve. If you don't listen to me, you don't honour me, the consequences would be death. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that through Adam, we've all inherited this in nature. By nature, we dishonour the one who's given us everything. We've inherited death through Adam. But when Jesus died on a cross, it wasn't because he somehow lost or the Romans got the better of him or the Jewish leaders got the better of him. As Paul wrote earlier in this chapter, I have delivered to you of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins. That's what Jesus said he came for. He said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price for many, to secure the freedom of many. Or famously read at the time of Easter in Isaiah 53, it says, by his wounds we are healed. Because our punishment of death, he loved us so much that he came into our world and he said, I will bear your punishment on your behalf so that you don't have to. That all who trust in me, all who return to me to honour me, I have paid in full. Or as Peter writes, Christ suffered for sins once for all to bring you to God. But if Jesus just died, if he wasn't raised... All of his claims to have some power over sin and death would be pretty meaningless, wouldn't they? Paul connects the idea of his death and resurrection in Romans chapter 4, saying, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Christ Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, that is, he died as a substitute for our rebellion against God, and raised for our justification, meaning the legal declaration that we are now right in God's sight. So his death pays for our sin, and by his resurrection shows that he has the power 
to set us free from sin. His death was a death for sin. He rose showing he had power over sin. He rose showing he had power over death. And he rose showing that God had accepted his sacrifice as being satisfactory to pay the price for our sin. And by his resurrection we are justified, declared right in his sight. Nothing else can be done against us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Whether the extent of our dishonouring of God was big or small by the measures of this world, all of us were separated from God. And Jesus came and has dealt with once for all the thing that separates from God, that is our refusal to honour God as God. If Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain or our faith is futile. But if he is raised, our faith is a certain hope. It is more certain than anything else that we place our hope on in this world. Because the one we have faith in is the one who has got all authority and power. The one who has been given a name above every name. The one who has conquered death, sin and Satan. Which the writer of Hebrews says, who gives us a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And rather than our faith being futile, void, a waste of time, our faith has meaning, purpose and abundant benefits for all who live by faith. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. But if Christ is raised, our preaching is meaningful, it is valuable, it is important. And as someone who does that for a living, that's kind of important for me. But when you hear preaching, I don't want you just to think preaching means something that someone does from the front of a church building. Preaching is just declaring what God has done in Jesus Christ. could be telling, telling your friend what Jesus has done and why it's important. Why is preaching meaningful and valuable? Well, according to Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? So faith comes from hearing and from hearing the word of Christ. This is how people come to faith, by hearing about what Jesus has done. So let's not be ashamed of the gospel, which Paul says is the power of God for salvation. If Christ was not raised, we are to be most pitied among all men. But if he is raised... We are to be most envied, not because there's anything more special about us, but because what Jesus has done to deal with our separation from him, not only has our our sin been forgiven, we have a personal relationship with the living God, the almighty God who created all things and not just something for us to enjoy for the 70 or so years or whatever we live in this life. But we will go to be and live in an eternity with him where there is no sin, no death, no pain, no tears. There is nothing but joy living in his presence forever. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul was so confident of the value of living by faith. This is how he ends this chapter we've been reading from. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. 
And the last point I want to look at, if Christ is not raised, then those who have died in Christ will perish. That is, if Christ is not raised, this life is all there is. You're wasting your time. But if Christ is raised, we have a certain hope, not only that we cling on, that we belong to God in this life, but that he will complete everything that he's begun, that we will have an eternity with him. Just as Christ was raised with a new glorified resurrection body, so also will we. In our reading we saw this, for as in Adam all die, that's because we've all inherited that hostility towards God, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Now Jesus wasn't the first person to be raised in a general sense. For example, Lazarus was raised, but Lazarus was raised to the same perishable body life that he had beforehand. Jesus was the first to be raised to an imperishable, glorified body. And Jesus demonstrated by his resurrection, he has the power to raise us with newness. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. Now for anyone who's struggling with any degree with problems with their body, with weakness, sickness, all of the things that are corrupt about the created nature that we have now will be obliterated. We will be raised in glory where sickness, pain, death, sadness will be no more. Death, the very thing which we fear most, which there's an industry making millions of dollars to try and sustain life just by a few extra weeks. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So I know at whatever point I die, that's not the end. Matter of fact, that is the beginning of the greater life that is to be lived for all eternity, where this body will not have the limitations that it has now, will not have the sickness, will not have the sadness, but we will just be able to enjoy a relationship with God forever. All of this made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection. That Jesus was raised from dead is not only the most plausible of the reasons for the empty tomb, and if you're interested in looking at some of the other objections, there's, we put a blog post on our website uh, yesterday looking at the most common objections and you'll see that most of them are a little bit silly when you think about them. But it's the very heartbeat of the Christian faith. By the resurrection, if we saw if Jesus was not raised, all these things are a waste of time, they're futile. But it's the very hinge, it's the very heartbeat by which Christianity stands or falls. But when you think about it, not too many sane people would believe that someone who is dead on third day would be risen from the dead. Like it doesn't happen time to time, does it? No one get, has their dog die, bury it in the backyard, and then a few days later go, oh, there's Scrappy running around the yard. Like if you went to a funeral on a Friday and you see someone who looks like that person on a Sunday, you're not going to naturally presume, oh, that's, that's the guy whose funeral I went to on Friday, eh? It just normally doesn't happen. You don't naturally presume that someone who's dead would rise from the dead. Unless 
there is substantially good evidence and reason to do so. Remember the person who's writing these words that we've had read? A persecutor. Someone who wanted people dead for saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And what else I find encouraging in Paul's words is that Paul, who committed his life to spreading this good news of what Jesus has done by his death and resurrection, regularly being persecuted, regularly suffering and eventually giving his own life for it, doesn't do so blindly as though he doesn't know what's going on. He states very clearly, if Jesus was not raised, everything I'm doing is a complete and utter waste of time. That's how confident he was in what he was sharing. And uh, we begin next week, we're going to start looking through the book of Acts. And we will see how as people proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, how people flocked to faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Therefore, our preaching is beneficial. It is valuable to share what Jesus has done. Our sins are forgiven. Death has been defeated. Jesus has given us hope not only for this life. It's not just like a hobby we do to fill out a few years of our time while we're here. But a hope for all eternity. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That he's died for our sins. He is risen for our justification. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we can only call upon you as our Father because of what Jesus did. By nature, we just want to rebel against you. We just want to do our own thing. We don't want to acknowledge someone else as being our ultimate authority, our ultimate ruler. We love all the things that you've given us, all the things that you've created in this world. We love the air that we breathe. We love the food that we eat. We love the world in which we live in. But so often our natural tendency is not to love the one who's given them all to us. Lord, we acknowledge that we've all dishonoured the one who's given us everything. We all deserve the death that you said was the consequences from separating separating ourselves from the life giver. But we thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Who sent your son Jesus into the world not to give us what we deserved but to take our punishment on our place so that we could have a restored relationship with you that we don't deserve. Lord, it saddens me and it saddens people around the world that people would hear this good news which is the greatest news ever heard yet still think it's something we don't need. Lord, we do need you for those of you have known you for years, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the depth of what you've done for us. But if some who are still figuring out how Jesus uh, fits into this life and this world, uh, Lord, I pray too that you would um, work within them to help them to see uh, the goodness and the love that you have shown them, your grace and your care, and why it is truly good news that you have died and that you have raised again, why it is for our certain hope, not only for this life, but for all eternity. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.